Thanks, Alec, for um, reading that for us so helpfully. Can I remind you, because I'm going to forget, uh, we're going to have Q&A at the end of uh, my uh, message tonight. And so that means I've remembered now to tell you. So as we're going through, if something uh, catches your attention or you're thinking, hey, what did you mean by that? Or I'd like to follow that up. Jot something down on the back of your Care and Connect card and then we'll have a really productive question and answer time. Is that all right? Uh, bonus information. You can actually ask me anything in Q&A time. It's often helpful if it's related to the message, but if you really want to throw something unusual at me, you know, have a go. All right, good. I'm going to pray and ask God's mercy on me for later and uh, you for now. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this word preserved for us. I pray, Father, because your Holy Spirit is here, that he might be opening our hearts. Father, open our ears so that we would hear and our minds so that we would be challenged and changed. Father, we pray that you would leave us different because of what we heard tonight we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I mentioned that uh, we want to be thinking about Jesus as the key focal point for this term coming up. And uh, we're going to use this idea, Jesus is. And uh, we're going to ask the question, Jesus is, how would you fill in the blank or what would you say? And I'd be really happy, even if just a couple of people called out again, whatever they would like to say. Jesus is, how would you complete the sentence? What would you throw in? Jesus is... Awesome. So, the beginning and the end. Fantastic. Jesus is, what else? Light. Risen. Saviour. Sorry? Word incarnate. Tom, outstanding. You'll have people running to their dictionaries to figure that one out. But it, word made flesh, yes? Fantastic. So, who is Jesus? We want to be thinking about him over the course of this term. Now, in the passage that Alec just read for us, we see a variety of different responses, a variety of different answers to who Jesus is. In fact, just in these verses that we just read, uh, someone like John the Baptist filled in the blank of who Jesus is with these titles. So Jesus is called the Lord, the Lamb of God, the Holy Spirit Baptizer. He's not actually called the Holy Spirit Baptizer, but that's the job description John says he fulfills. And ultimately the chosen one or the son of God. And then we see a whole bunch of different titles on the lips of the disciples, the followers of Jesus. Uh, they call him Rabbi. They call him Messiah. They call him Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, uh, son of God and king of Israel. There's a whole bunch of different titles that are given to Jesus just in these verses that we looked at. So the question is, how did, how did they get there? How did these people get to those names uh, for Jesus. And so what we want to do tonight is we want to look at each of these main characters uh, in the reading and consider how each one of them moved from a, a starting position to the position that they, they held at the end. So we'll start with John the Baptist. And I said this morning, everybody understands that John's surname wasn't the Baptist. That's right, isn't it? John the Baptist. No, John the baptizer, the one who did the job, that's the reason he's got the second name, the Baptist. But uh, his second name is probably John, son of Zechariah. In, in any other environment, we'd probably be known as John, the son of Zechariah. But because of the ministry he had, because he did this job of baptizing people, uh, he got this name. Uh, you know, maybe Mitch Marsh is finally being called Mitch the batter um, for, for, a, for a change, which is good. I'm very excited about that. For those of you who follow cricket, that's an in-joke. If you don't, just let it go. It's fine. I'm very excited that he scored some runs. Um, 
So John's ministry was about telling people, hey everyone, you're a pack of sinners and you need to come and be washed with this water in the Jordan to remind yourself that you need to be clean. So John was a bit of a firebrand, really. But when John sees Jesus, John, John fills in the blank in this way. He says, Jesus is, he doesn't say these exact words, but this is what he means. He says, Jesus is a friend to sinners. And you go, hang on, hang on, I, I didn't see that here. It doesn't say that he's a friend to sinners. Well, in the passage, we see in verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you looked at Jesus on the day that John called him the Lamb of God, you would have seen an experienced carpenter standing on the side of the river. He would have seen a guy with, I guess, some muscles, uh, and he would have been uh, roughly in his 30s. But John looks at him and says, look, the Lamb of God. And you go, in what way is this carpenter, tradie guy, a lamb? How is he actually a lamb? He doesn't look very lamby to me at all, right? And here's the thing. What John is seeing is Jesus will be the ultimate lamb. There was a lamb that would die to pay the price for your sins. If you went up to the temple to make a sacrifice, you would lay your hands on the head of a lamb, confess your sins over it. They would graphically slit its throat. The blood would go everywhere and you would see sin is a bloody mess and someone needs to die in my place. When John looks at Jesus, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is saying Jesus is a friend to sinners, but he has more to say. Have a look with me at what follows on uh, in verse 30. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, is that the best riddle you've heard in church for a while? The man who came after me has surpassed me because he was before me. How can that possibly be true? Does anyone know uh, Jesus and John are kind of related? Does anyone know who was born first? This is just kind of a geeky, nerdy thing. So if you're going, I didn't even know they were related, that's okay, bear with it. But I'm going to test the nerds out a little bit. Who was born first between Jesus and John? John. John was born first. So let's just check it out then. Who came first? John. John came first. So John says, the one who came after me has surpassed me because he was... How does that work? John was born after Jesus. Well, Tom said that uh, Jesus was the incarnate word or something. Is that right, Tom? Here's the thing. Jesus existed before Christmas. He was with God in the beginning. That's exactly what the Bible says. He was with God in the beginning. The Father and the Son spoke creation into being. And so Jesus has literally always existed, but he took on human flesh at Christmas. So John is saying, not only do I see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he says, the one who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Do do you see? He's saying something incredibly profound about who Jesus is. In fact, he goes on with what it says here. He says, I myself, verse 31, did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, 
The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. That's what John says. I saw the Holy Spirit come down on Jesus and remain on him. And you know what? He's the chosen one. In fact, this friend of sinners is actually the son of God. John says, you want to know who Jesus is? I'm testifying. He is the son of God. He is God's chosen one. Now, uh, I'm going to tell you tonight stuff I hope you can apply. But the really important thing to note at this point is John is unique in God's plan. John's unique in God's plan. I'll show you why. Here's my little overview of the Bible. You can see the Old Testament on that side, the New Testament on this side. Um, as we go through different books of the Bible, I will show you where it is. In fact, you know under our Bible readings there's a little square that moves along? If you have a look, it'll stop at where the reading is in the timeline of the Bible. Little insider tip. Anyway, so here, here's the story. Now, where does John come John comes after Jesus' birth, but before his death, that's the cross, and before his resurrection, that's the arrow. John comes there. We live after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that's a little face looking upwards, but before the judgment of Jesus, that's the throne and the downward arrow. So we live here. John is the only person who gets to prepare the way for the Lord. He does that as the only person in salvation history. So that's John's unique role, but we have a role to play ourselves. And I'm going to think with you about that tonight. Now, when we say fill in the blank, some people might fill in the blank. Jesus is, what, can you guess from the picture? That's right, Jesus is a good teacher. And that's okay as an answer as it goes, but I want to show you he might even be more than that. So have a look with me. That's the opening answer from uh, some of the guys who were following John. Have a look with me at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, if you missed me yesterday, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, I think this is beautiful. There's some amazing things about John, but here's one of the things. These guys are followers of John, but John has no hesitation pointing them to Jesus and saying, you know what? You need to leave me and you need to graduate to the real deal. The real deal is Jesus. Go follow him. And that's exactly what they do. And so uh, they followed Jesus. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? No, I don't think he said that. He did say, what do you want? But I'm not sure he was gruff. What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now, here's the thing. These guys, because uh, you might wonder, why did they have to know where Jesus was staying? Basically, if you're a disciple, you don't just check in for a three-hour class and then go home again. You end up living with your teacher, Right? We're with you following, we're all in with our lives. So where are you staying is the invitation, come and be part of my family of followers. Does that make sense? So they came and saw where he was. And uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard that John had said this and who had followed Jesus. Verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. See, it's amazing here is a man who starts off following a good teacher and concludes from meeting him that he is the Messiah, the promised king. 
You see, if you get it, what did he do? If it was, went and got his brother. If you get that Jesus is the Messiah, you go and get someone else and tell them because that's the best news you'd ever want to hear. If you get it, you'll naturally want to give it. And so the first thing he did was to go and get his brother and bring him to Jesus. Well, let's have a look at his brother. Uh, His brother becomes very famous. In fact, Andrew is introduced in verse 40 as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, before we meet Simon Peter. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? So his brother is so much more famous than him. Anyway, what do we find out about, uh, about him? He has heard the news that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, the King, the promised King of Israel. Ever since King David, David, King David had been promised, one day one of your descendants will reign on your throne forever. And so the people in Israel were looking and waiting. And what uh, Andrew has said to his brother is, we just found the Messiah. And I want, to, I want you to see the whole conversion story of Peter here. You ready? This is as it's laid out in the Bible. And he brought him to Jesus, verse 42. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas or Kephas, which when translated is Peter. Full stop. Did you notice how he wrestled with so many things here and needed a, No, he came to Jesus, having heard that he was the Messiah, and Jesus said to him, You are... Simon Peter, but I'm going to call you Kephas, and that's it. We're all done. We assume in that process, somehow, (laughs) Peter came to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah and decided to give his life to Jesus. But we're not really given a whole lot of light and color here, are we, to work with? All we know is that Jesus gave him a new name, uh, Rock. That's, that's uh, That's what Kephas means. Now, if tonight you're someone who's been brought to Jesus and you figured out that he's the king, guess what you should do? You should respond to the call and follow. Jesus might give you a new name. I don't know. He might not as well. But the point will be that if we hear Jesus' call, if we've worked out he's Messiah, the logical thing to do is respond to the call and follow him. That's Peter. Done. So, so far we've got two disciples, which is pretty good. There's another group of people who weren't probably necessarily down by the river with John. And there are people who are reading their Bibles and were longing with expectation, saying, God, we are reading our Bibles. We're reading here in Isaiah that one day Israel is going to be the pinnacle of the whole world, that all the nations are going to be drawn in. But right now, do you know what's happening? We've got Roman soldiers everywhere. We're an occupied country. We are humiliated and occupied. God, if you're still about, just so we're clear, we we might feel like we've dropped off your radar a little. And so if someone like that was around, they might say, Jesus, or maybe God, God is neglectful. God is neglectful. How could we possibly be in this state as a nation if God was paying attention? Jesus, or or God, you're neglectful. I want to see what happens with that. In verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael. And look, just so we're clear, it's Nathanael. Yeah? You can, uh, if, you, if you hear me miss saying Nathanael, okay, I reckon it's, it's different than Nathanael. And so I'll say Nathanael. You can say whatever. Potato, potato. Uh, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. Now, does anyone know a town where nothing good could come from? 
Oh, someone said something. No, where was it? Where was it? Camden. Oh, harsh. I, 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 I was thinking, I was thinking, if we were, if we were in Wollongong, I could probably say cringella. Easy. Oh, really? We have a cringellite here? No? Very good. I, I just think the name's a bit unfortunate, isn't it? And so there, there are places where we kind of go, as if anything good can come from there. Now, apart from Camden, everyone's being pretty good at not calling out places. But do you know, do you know places like this where you go, nothing good could possibly come from there? Nazareth was in this category. And so the natural response is to say, this is a joke. They haven't produced anyone of note. There's no one in the history books from Nazareth. They're a write-off. So how could the Messiah come from there? But the response is, in verse 46, come and see. For, um, for this man, Nathaniel, he says, look, I've found the one who Moses spoke about. I've found the one who's the fulfillment of all of our hopes. I have found the promised one. And I'm saying to you, mate, you need to come with me and check him out. I found the promised one. But I think the way that he responds is so beautiful. And so I want to encourage you, when you get met with skepticism, you might say, hey, did you know what? Jesus is the savior of the world. And someone goes, I couldn't give a rip. And you go, well, fair enough, I guess. But here's what I'd say. Do you see what he did? He said, come and see. Come and see. And so I want to encourage you to practice patience with the skeptic and invitation. Come and see is the response to the skeptic when he makes his great declaration about who Jesus is. But there's, uh, let, let's have a look at, uh, at, this, guy, at this guy, Philip. I, I, think, I think for Nathaniel, uh, his answer would be, Jesus is a fairy tale. You've made him up. Nazareth is a whole it's a bunch of deadbeats there. The promised one, the chosen one, cannot possibly come from there. You're making it up. Now, does this sound like anyone you know? It's a fairy tale. Have a look at what happens in verses 47 to 50. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You'll see greater things than that. See, what changed for Nathanael was he met Jesus and Jesus knew something about him, knew something about him that you couldn't know just being a normal human. I assume that means that the tree wasn't there. Oh, I saw you before Philip called you. Yeah, big, big deal. No, 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 I was over the hill, over the back over here, right, when Philip found me. And you said, Jesus, you saw me under the fig tree before Philip. Rabbi, that's how he starts. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So what happens with an encounter with the risen Jesus is it goes from being a fairy tale to being the son of God. And I think Jesus is going, hey, dude, if you reckon that's amazing, just hang about. There's going to be some really extraordinary things happen. And I'm just about to do them. So stick around. Stick around. And I want to say tonight, let investigation follow skepticism. Right? So if you're the skeptic here tonight, all I want to say to you is use your adult brain, your teenage brain, your 20s brain. Use your brain 
Come and bring the best of you to check Jesus out. Let investigation follow skepticism. Because crossing your arms and going, nothing good comes from there, is not good enough. Come and see Jesus for yourself. Come and do Jesus for the curious with me and see if you'll find something that might surprise you. We have a pattern going on here. John the Baptist told his disciples that he had found a friend to sinners. Andrew told Peter that he had found the Messiah. Philip told Nathaniel they had found the promised one. What happens is if you find out who Jesus is, it naturally leads to passing it on. Or else, I would suggest to you, you haven't found who Jesus is. Let that sink in for a second, right? If you find out who Jesus is, it will naturally lead us to tell others because it's such good news. They, they didn't have to go, oh, Jesus is the Messiah, the promised king of Israel. Well, let me study in a private class for six months. Let me hang out with Christians until I'm told that I should do this telling thing. Let me be made to feel so guilty that it overcomes my sense of awkwardness personally. And then I might dare possibly to slip a little something on the end of a Christmas card, maybe about, it's not like that at all. The first thing he did was find his brother and say, come, you've got to check this guy out. I found the Messiah. Because if you've found the Messiah, it's the best news ever. It's the best news ever. And this pattern is to continue. That's what we saw in our reading from uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Have a look at the bit in yellow. So God's doing all this great work of saving us. And it says in there, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Us is the church. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, God's a bit crazy. God says that he will speak to the world through us. We're looking at the frontline troops here tonight, folks. Are you feeling pumped? We're the plan. And you look around and go, God, haven't you got like a plan B here somewhere? Like, have you looked at this church tonight? And God says, yeah, I'm looking. And I picked each one of you here because you have a unique ability to speak on my behalf. You are going to be my hands and feet. You are going to be my ambassadors. And there are no silent ambassadors. So how will we give the message? We actually have a plan here at New Life. The, the plan looks like this. How will we give the message of New Life? We talk about connecting with people because you have to start somewhere. Connect with people. We, we talk about caring for people, which is where we seek to be a blessing. We say, it's not just enough for me to know you. I want to show you God's love. And then we go, it's not just enough for me to show you God's love. We actually need to communicate as well. We need to speak clearly about Jesus. And then we want to lead you to commit to him as king. That's a simple plan. Connect care, communicate, lead people to commit. That, that's pretty straightforward. But here's what I reckon. Here's what I reckon. I might be wrong, but you can give me some feedback in the question and answer time. Remember, it's happening. Uh, I think a whole bunch of us do the connecting and the caring really well. Like I love uh, washing the dirty cups at work in the name of Jesus, you know. I like being the one who fills up the photocopier that everyone walks past and says, no, 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 not going to get any paper from me. That's someone else's job. I, I love being the person who... No, no, I'm saying to you, we can love doing that. But I think the idea is that we take every relationship we have and we move it one sea at a time until they are seeing Jesus as their Messiah. And I want to suggest to you, just suggest, it's possible, that a whole bunch of us get a little stuck before communicate. 
We do the connecting, we do the caring, but when it comes to the speaking clearly about Jesus, that's the bit we find hard. Could that be true? And so I want to suggest this coming term, we've, we've got a great plan. We'll be asking people this term, you and I will be asking people, Jesus is, what would you say? Or alternatively, Jesus is, how would you fill in the blank? Now, is that hard to do? I think if you have a genuine curiosity, you can do this, right? And I love it. I, I love doing this sort of stuff because I'm interested in people. I, I, I'm fascinated by people. So let's say uh, you've got your friend there and they don't really like Jesus. You go, all right, I know you don't like Jesus, but if you had to finish this sentence, what would you say? Jesus is what? Fantastic. Collect the whole set. Just go through everyone you know. Ask them, how would you finish the sentence? I think you'll be excited to find out what people say. So what might people say? Well, here's some we prepared earlier. Jesus is the son of God. Love, a fairy tale, irrelevant, a crutch, a good teacher, good for you, neglectful, a friend of sinners, my mum's thing, alive, right? A whole bunch of different things, right? They could say any number of things. I've chosen these because I think they're probably the most representative. You can tell me which ones we should add if I've missed them. But here's the thing. There are different kind of responders. You notice there were two people. Two people that Jesus found and two people that found Jesus. There are active seekers. So there are people who are waiting to know Jesus. They're actively looking. Remember, there were followers of John the Baptist. And then John pointed them to Jesus. and They went, yes, Jesus is what I'm looking forward to. Now, they're out there. As I would want to say to you, they exist, be bold, be bold. There are other people like Peter who are seekers, but they're kind of waiting a little bit. They're just waiting for someone to tell them. So I want you to take the initiative and tell them. There are some people that need to be found. They're sitters like Philip, who Jesus found. They're sitters, they're waiting, they're faithful. And I want you to have a set of expectation that they exist. There are others who are sitting there and they're skeptical and they don't want to be found. And all I want to encourage you is to show grace and patience and to speak clearly about Jesus. How would I know what to say? That's your question, isn't it? What if I started this conversation? What would happen next? Well, I want to tell you, we actually have a plan. This next term, I've got mapped out. And we're going to look at one of these on each week. And what you might do, if you ask your friends prior to this, you might go, my friend says Jesus is irrelevant. Well, on February the 18th, they should come to church because we're going to answer the fact that Jesus is irrelevant. Yeah? You can look ahead and you can say, uh, Jesus is just one religion amongst many. Well, on March 25th, we're going to talk about that. Bring him to church. Hey, you reckon Jesus is irrelevant? That's fine. Come along to church and hear how irrelevant he... I mean, we might have to go at persuading you. So we're going to give you this in advance so you can hear and say, why don't you come to church and hear someone say something about it? There's also going to be a website, jesus-is.org.au. And on that website, they've got a whole bunch of responses there. You can click on them and you can see somebody having a go at answering that particular one. Check it out. It's pretty cool. And then each week of this term, we're going to have Q&A, not not after the service, before that, uh, where I'm going to go, hey, this week, what did you hear someone say? What's got you stumped when you're talking to your friends? Let me give you a place to start. How does that sound? So I want to help you be equipped to be able to answer your friends. So how can you get ready? The first thing you want to do if you're going to ask somebody else, how would you complete this sentence? Guess what is? It might be helpful if you had an answer yourself. Fair enough? 
So what would you say? Now, I know a bunch of you, and in fact, I was talking to a bunch of people this morning because I asked them, hey, what would you say Jesus is? And they said, Lord, Saviour. And all I'd say to you is, he is absolutely those things. But there is something about Jesus to you which is unique. Something about the reason that you follow Jesus. His title is Lord. He is Saviour. But what is it for you particularly? And, and what I'm looking for is what's your story that makes Jesus where you go, he is absolutely the boss of my life or whatever it is. What's your word? What's your word so that I couldn't pick up your five sentences that you prepare and read them off as my own? Each of you will have a story. And if you don't, come and join me at Jesus for the Curious. So what I want you to do is let's prepare our answer, no more than five sentences, and we're like, what would you say? Jesus is what? That's the first one, prepare. The second one is I want to encourage you to fill in one of these little cards here with some people that you're going to pray for, a family member, a friend, a next-door neighbour. These cards are on the back up there where you're going to put your Care and Connect cards at the end of the service. Grab one new for this year. Write down three people that you are going to pray for, that you could invite to church, that you can be asking who Jesus is to. Grab one of these cards. Pray daily for them. Let's faithfully pray for God to prepare hearts and opportunities. Thirdly, something happens after this church service, and generally it's very well provided for. We have supper, right? And you're going, oh, look, I'm not sure if I can burst into my workplace tomorrow and start knocking everybody off with Jesus' complete the blank. And so here's what I want to say. Why don't you practice a live firing environment that isn't very scary? What could you do? Well, we could say, Jesus, how would you fill in the blank? Over supper, right? So let's, uh, let's practice asking and telling each other over supper because what will happen? You and I will be super encouraged. Because I want to hear your Jesus is. And then you'll have practiced and you'll have practiced asking. Does this make sense? Yes, good. Okay. Here's the thing. How would I complete the blank? Jesus is. Jesus is, for me, hope for the hopeless. When I lead a funeral, when I stand in a room with a box with a body, and I'm looking at a bunch of people, I speak with hope. I say there is life beyond the grave. I say you can be reunited. I say to adults, you can trust that there is something beyond this life. When I was standing by my mother's bed as she passed away a month ago, I had great hope. Our family had great hope and joy and confidence because Jesus is going to see her through this life into the life to come, and one day I will see her face to face. And that is offered nowhere else There is nothing else for the answer to death in this world. And so when I sit in that funeral hall and I watch pagans lead funerals, it is a deathly make-believe. There is nothing there. There is poetry and there is weeping, but there is no hope. Who is Jesus for me? He is hope for the hopeless. Every one of you will die. Every one of you, if you last long enough, will lose everyone you love. Only in Jesus. Only in Jesus is there hope. Who is Jesus for me? Hope for the hopeless. And if he is that, then surely he's worth telling your friends about. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, if we have found your son, I pray that you would set your son in our hearts in such a way that our love for him and love for those around us, that we would share him naturally and joyfully. Give us answers. Give us confidence, give us hope, we pray.
for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right. I'm going to be fired up at the end there. Okay. Shake it out. Shake it out. It's going to be okay. Um, so I reckon Jesus is pretty awesome. I'd love you to ask me any questions you've got to follow up. It might be about our plan for the next term. Yeah, go for it, mate. If someone else wants to run the mic after this, that'd be really helpful. And then I can stand up here. Yeah, thanks. Um, go for it. What's the question? So Nathaniel yes, well done. said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Did yes. Jonah come from Nazareth? Did Jonah come from Nazareth? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I'm on the spot and I can't tell you the answer to that. If you're telling me by way of a question that he did come from Nazareth, well done. Is that what you're telling me? Uh, yeah. Don't know. Uh, here's the thing. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. But I would say that even so, it's up for grabs as to whether anything good came from Nazareth if it gets to Jonah. And if you're doubting that, read four chapters of Jonah. Uh, Noah, sorry. Uh, Jonah. Jonah, and come back to me. I think there's some debate about whether uh, Jonah is really awesome in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> is that okay? Yeah. Great. And, 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 now, and now don't we want to look up the book of uh, Jonah? So thanks, mate. That's a great question. Uh, somebody else? Question? Yeah, a couple over here. Can someone run the mic over? Thanks, mate. And if you find the answer while question and answer is on, uh, bring us some relief. Um, just in John chapter 1, verse 33. Yes. And John the Baptist says... And I myself did not know him. Well, I don't know. If I, am I missing something? I, why would he not have known him? Weren't they cousins? No, they were cousins. And it's even better than that because his mum recognised that there was something awesome happening when Mary visited. I think what John's saying is, I wouldn't have naturally recognised the Son of God who was in my presence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that's right. So when Mary turns up, uh, Elizabeth's baby, that's John the Baptist, leapt in her womb. It's just really cool. And then she sings a great song about how awesome um, it is that Mary's bearing the Son of God. But pre-birth knowledge probably didn't translate into adulthood. And I'm pretty comfortable that what he's saying is, until I saw the Holy Spirit descend on this man, I wasn't aware that with deep conviction, this man was the Son of God. But since God revealed to me, the one on whom you see the Holy Spirit descend and remain is the Son of God, well, you know what? Now I've got it. Now I've figured it out. So I think it's a perfectly reasonable question, given what we know about their background. But I think, that, I think he's saying, I did not know with any confidence. I wasn't 100% sure. And in fact, we see later on in the Gospel, John says, hey, Jesus, are you the one or should we actually expect someone else to come? And so I think there's even a, um, a doubting kind of aspect to John's life where I think it's perfectly reasonable for him to say, I wasn't 100% sure. Is that okay? Good question, though. Yeah, uh, another question. Oh, same question. <laughs> same question. Good question. Ali, well, follow up. Another question, but just on that, John is the only other person. microphone. John's the only other person who had the Holy Spirit from his birth through to when he saw Jesus. So... He gets to say things like, there's the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the whole world. There's no reason to expect that he actually understood what that meant at the time. So the Holy Spirit is working through him and may even enable him to make a declaration that's greater than what he knew. Yeah. But my actual question is, Go. Yeah. again on the Nazareth thing, um, is Nathaniel really saying how come he didn't come from Jerusalem? Like, yeah. Is that what, because he's the typical faithful yeah, that's right. So if we're so. waiting for the king of Israel, he's either coming from Bethlehem, 
and this is Jesus of Nazareth, or he's coming from Jerusalem, which is the political capital. So Nazareth is a backwater. No kings come from there. I think that's essentially what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, so is he picking on Nazareth or it's just it can't be good enough? Because it's... Anywhere other than here or here is a dud, yeah. but that's an especial dud, I think. Yeah. So, yes, it doesn't get to be a great thing unless it's Bethlehem or Jerusalem, so anything else would fail, but Nazareth is an especial fail because it's a hole. <laughs> I think that's what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Question over here. Thanks, Alec. Um, hey. How, how, how important is relationship in regards to sharing about Jesus? Because I know you talked a lot about sharing it, but these guys are brothers. Yeah. And so what's it look like for us in workplaces and stuff? Because I think a lot of Christians get that anxiety. It's like everyone's not a Christian and I yep. feel that tension. I've got to share it. But like, where do you see the importance of relationship? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And look, it's over here because um, my, my thing is, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. So my previous job before I, before I came here was uh, I was responsible for evangelism at Fig Tree Anglican Church for six years. That was my job. And I thought, first of all, that the job was just to give lots of people uh, gospel tracts so that they could under- they'd just go and tell people. But I rec- recognised there were two problems. One, we weren't spending enough time in prayer prior, so we weren't prayerful. And secondly, we weren't relational enough. It was all about guilt and pressure. And I think they suck as reasons for evangelism. So what we say here, I've literally enshrined it, is we need to connect with people, then we need to care for them. And we care for them prior to communicating. So I'm saying relationship is absolutely essential. The reason is we need to build a relational bridge strong enough for the weight of this is the Messiah to pass over in our friendship without you passing out. Because when I rock up to someone and I say, you need to believe in Jesus, they go, you're a jerk. When I have cared for them, when I've connected with them and I've cared for them, maybe over the course of six months, a year, maybe it's two years, I've cared for them and loved them, then when I share Jesus, it's the natural overflowing of what they know about me, they've seen in my life, and so I think it's absolutely essential. In fact, I'd argue it's, it's possible, it's even harder in families. And, uh, so the fact that he grabbed his brother first and told him, might mean they had a really great relationship. But I think some people, if, I, if you have to tell your mum or your dad, it's really hard. It's really hard yakka if they don't believe. And so I want to encourage you, keep working on that service seeking to be a blessing aspect before you share it. Does that answer your, your question? I think it's absolutely essential. And I would say to you, connect, care, but don't forget to communicate. Yeah, great question. Someone else? Very good. Let's call that. Was there one more? No? Oh, good. That's great. Thanks so much, mate. Fantastic. All right. Uh, if you didn't know, this is a topic I love. Absolutely love. And I want to help you because Jesus is worth it because he's knowable and because it shouldn't be about guilt. It should be just because you love Jesus. So you've got to find Jesus again. Come and do Jesus for the curious with me, seriously. And find out why you should love him again. Well, that's a cue for a uh, Karen Connect card moment. Why don't you get out your Karen Connect cards? Uh, they look like this. Uh, if everyone can get one out, that'd be great. Basically, what I want you to do is to write your name on it. Um, if you could jot down on the back, why don't you write down your one word? Jesus is what? what what's your opening statement? Jesus is, have a go. On the front, if you've got any further questions, you can put that there. If you've got any prayer points for the coming week, 
The staff meets on Monday. We pray through every one of these cards and we love to do it. So if you've got a prayer point, please write it down on the, on the card there and I'll give you a moment to fill them in.